We're talking about grace for everyday living today on Grow in Grace. When a person receives appropriate recognition for long service or high achievement, we call that an award. But when a person is not capable of earning a wage, can win no prize, deserves no award, yet receives such a gift anyway, that is a good picture of God's grace. This is what we mean when we talk about the word grace. This is what scripture means when it says God's grace. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place God will dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. You know, it's quite common upon meeting someone to want to find out who they are, learn a little bit about them. Maybe after we discover their name, we ask what sort of work they do or pose a family-related question. Now, when John the Baptist entered the scene just before Christ, he too had those questioning who he was. We'll see John's reply today on Grow in Grace as we dive back into our study of John's Gospel. We aim to cover verses 14 through 34 of chapter 1. So let's join Pastor Ed Ray there for a detailed account of John's ministry. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me. He was before me. And of his fullness we have received grace for grace, or grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Now this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? I am not. No. And then they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you have to say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, Now those who were there were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done at Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day... 
John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes the man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he whom baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, again he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Then two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following him said, What do you seek? And they said of him, Rabbi, teacher, where are you staying? And he said, Come and see. And they came and saw that he was stay, where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Again, we've come to study, to sit at your feet, to listen to the Holy Spirit, that you would teach us to become more like you, we ask. Change hearts. Fill us with your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We started in the Gospel of John, and we looked at the concept of what John was trying to bring. He sums up this gospel. It's just different than the other three, the synoptic gospels. John's gospel is aimed at evangelism, people finding out who Jesus is and then following him. In fact, in the last of the book of the gospel, he says, I've written these things that you might know, that you might understand, that you might grasp that Jesus is the Messiah and believing that you might have eternal life. Believing that Jesus is the Messiah, God who came to the earth and died for my sins, would lead me to eternal life? Yes, that's the point. That's why he wrote this. Now, if you were listening carefully in the first four verses, there was a lot of talk about this word grace. And those of you that know me know that I love that word. It's only after Jesus' name and salvation do I see grace as the third most important word in the New Testament. Grace is God's unearned, unmerited, undeserved favor. That doesn't really help a lot. So I've been working a little bit this week trying to make it a concept that makes sense to you. So it comes from this Greek word, charis, and it was translated in the olden days, King James translation, and Tyndale before him. It was translated mercy or this love, everlasting love. So the word is simply not a word that is, translates perfectly to English. We use the word grace, well, she's a very graceful lady, or they have a lot of graces in their life, a lot of things they can do. 
But this word means an unearned gift, something given from God. It's recognizing that the gifts that a person has are actually from the throne of God. Something distributed to us while we're in the womb, Psalm 139 says. So it's part of you. It's part of me. And the things that we often think of as talents are connected to something God did for us. When a person works an eight-hour day and receives a fair day's pay for his time, we call that a wage. When a person competes with an opponent and receives a trophy for his or her performance, that is a prize. When a person receives appropriate recognition for long service or high achievement, we call that an award. But when a person is not capable of earning a wage, can win no prize, deserves no award, yet receives such a gift anyway, that is a good picture of God's grace. This is what we mean when we talk about the word grace. This is what scripture means when it says God's grace. It's something that comes upon every one of our lives. Many people don't recognize it. They don't see it as something from God. It's something that needs to be, the book of Romans says, received from God, which requires us to say, God, acknowledge, I acknowledge that came from you, that you are doing something in my life. You and I are receiving grace right here now in this place. We'll see as we go through this that it's constantly coming from God to humanity. So the first verses, 14 through 18, where we are, is about this subject of grace. And then 19 through 28, who are you, John? Which begs the question, who are you? Who am I? Who is Jesus? And then the last section, behold the Lamb, 29 through 39. So we started this with the Word. And the Word, in the beginning was the Word. And we discovered that the word was a title for Jesus. So it's appropriate. We call him Savior, which is good. We call him Redeemer, which is good. But he is also the word of God. That's where John takes it up. This is John the Apostle. And he's going to talk about another John, which makes it a little bit confusing as we move in here but he's talking about John the Baptist. You're listening to Pastor Ed Ray on Grow in Grace and our study of John chapter 1. We're getting to know John the Baptist, the one who would prepare the way for the Lord. Here he begins with a finishing touch of the first 14 verses. The Word became flesh. The concepts... The understanding who God was became flesh, became human. God came to earth, to say it simply. And he dwelt, he lived here among us. And we beheld, we watched, we saw his glory, his expansive majesty, his power, his omnipotence, who he really was. We beheld it. We walked with him. We lived with him. That's what John is saying. The glory is of the only begotten 
the premier one from God of the Father, full of two things, grace and truth. Our God is not remote, not unapproachable. He didn't send us just a letter. He didn't send us a representative. He didn't just speak to us from the mountaintop, although he did to Moses. He came to us as one of us. How God became man is really a mystery. I mean, we understand that God chose a young lady, Mary, and miraculously caused her to conceive and bring forth a son. But how did the expansiveness of the creator of the universe, all things were created through him and by him, how did he get compressed down into a eight, nine, maybe 10 pound baby? How did God shrink down into a human being? And he lived among us. The word is rich in meaning in the Greek language. It, it literally is to tabernacle, to tent with us. We went camping together. <laughs> you have a tent. This thing, Paul calls it a tent too. This one is wearing out. I've noticed it more lately that the roof leaks and stuff that used to work right away take longer. There's a new one waiting, Paul wrote, that we have a new body awaiting us, part of this being drawn into eternity by Jesus. When we take our last breath here, our next breath is facing the creator of the universe with a new body. No pain, no struggles, no brokenness, no sin, no tears. Hmm. We don't even know how to relate to that. Those are all parts of our life here. Full of two things, grace and truth. Theologians call this the grace-truth paradox. Paradox meaning something that sounds opposite until you look at it more carefully. So Jesus emphasized grace and truth. Now, some churches just emphasize truth, and they really study the law. Things are right and wrong. And that's not incorrect, but that's the only thing they see. Other churches focus just on grace, just on what God gives us, that there is a accepting everything, a looseness to that. Truth by itself is often harsh and demanding, black and white. Grace often accepts everything when there should be boundaries set. Truth-oriented believers do study scripture and theology, but they get stuck in this judging others and slow to forgive. Grace-oriented believers who only embrace grace embrace forgiveness and freedom, and that's good. But that also leaves room for laxity in what it means to follow God. So, it's a little bit of effort, a job, work, to discover the meaning of this word grace. This is where my study took me this week. Grace is the voice that calls us to change and then gives us the power to pull it off. That's Max Lucado. Grace, like water, flows to the lowest part, to those who need it the most. 
Grace is free, sovereign favor to the ill-deserving. From John Newton, we know the song, Amazing Grace, through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe this far, and grace will lead me home. Otherwise, grace is no more grace since it is bestowed on us, not because we have done good works, but because that we may be able to do them, Augustine said. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning, to trying to earn God's grace. I give grace because I so desperately need it myself. If we were a Pentecostal church, that would have been the appropriate time to say amen. I give grace to others because I so desperately need it myself. Abounding sin is the terror of the world, but abounding grace is the hope of mankind. Noah Webster, who gave us the dictionary, Webster's Dictionary, defines grace this way, a pleasing quality, number one, an admirable quality or characteristic usually used in the plural. Grace says, but it is a gift of God to humanity. In Christianity, the infinite love, mercy, favor, and goodness shown to humankind by God, freedom from sin. In Christianity, the condition of being free of sin through repentance to God because of grace. God's grace, unmerited favor meaning none can earn it. We can't work for it. We can't change God's mind about it even if we tried. I love that. We can't change God's mind about giving us grace even if we were stupid enough to try. He gives us grace, not based upon what we think we need, but upon what we really need. He pours out his blessing on us not because of what we do, but because of who he is. He pours out his blessing on us, not because of what we do, but because of who he is. It's his character. It's how he thinks about you. It's his desires to make you a success. It's his desire for you to spend eternity with him. (laughs) That's a puzzle to me. How God would want to spend eternity with me. I'm a pretty boring guy when you get close, but he knows that. We sing a song around here the last couple of months from a singing group called We the Kingdom. The song is called Holy Water. I mention it because the song you'll get is, to me, a very, they captured the essence is, I don't want to abuse your grace, the song says. I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. The need for change doesn't boil up from within us because we're such good people. (laughs) That song is saying, it's God's grace to make me aware of my shortcomings and my failings and, and to desire to change, to be like him. He gives us the want to and the power to pull it off. Early in his ministry, the apostle Paul wrote about his thorn in the flesh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And We don't really know for sure what it is. I think it's because he was going blind, got malaria traveling across Southeast Asia. But he said that this thorn 
he had asked God to heal him, to fix him. And God gave him, he said, the secret of God's grace. God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Power is perfected in weakness that he gives us in sickness and difficulties. Now, most of you know that I have been out of the pulpit for several months, three months, as a matter of fact, after eight days in the hospital. I tried to explain it last week too quickly, and it must not have been clear enough. I did not have COVID-19. I did have a coronavirus, NL63. What? That's what the doctor said when the laboratory turned back to me. I've never heard of NL63. There are seven pathogens in the family of coronaviruses. There are seven different viruses that can kill people and has. One of them was discovered in about 2003, the winter 2003-2004, in the Netherlands, Holland. So it's called NL. NL63, and we'll be hearing more about these seven coronaviruses, the other six, because they're spreading all over the world. Much of it probably because of travel, much of it probably because we're in the end times and God said there would be pestilence at the end. But it tried to kill me, that virus. And the day I entered the hospital, my wife began cancer treatment for the breast cancer that they discovered in her. And then going through the tests for her cancer and the radiation and the chemotherapy, they discovered she had a second kind of cancer in her stomach. Paul said, my grace is sufficient for you. And so it has been. I'm here to tell you that she is cancer free as of last week. And I'm coronavirus free. (laughs) At the moment, (laughs) things could change. I'll get back to you. But this is God's grace we're discussing, and he graced our family to take us into the valley of death as David wrote about in Psalm 23, and then pull us out of the other side so we could report back to you and say, God heals. God changes people. He is Lord. Nothing is hard for God. I know many have family members. I'm just amazed at how many people have been struck by various coronaviruses, but certainly COVID-19. And God is there. He will take you through it. I was ready to go home to heaven. Not because I didn't love you and want to be here. Don't misunderstand. But to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that sounds like a better deal than here. But he said, no, we're not ready for you, Ed. (laughs) We got to work on you a little more. You're pretty rough around the edges. But God heals. You're listening to Grow in Grace with our pastor and Bible teacher, Ed Ray. You'll find us online at thepackinghouse.org. And that's a great place to go and hear this program again. That's thepackinghouse.org. Or call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. 
You know, it takes a team to bring you Grow in Grace, and we look to our listeners to help make all this possible. If you'd like to make a contribution, you can call 844-77-GRACE. And as you do, be sure to request our special offer available for a gift of any amount. It's a book written by Gene Edwards called The Tale of Three Kings. It's based on the biblical figures of David, Saul, and Absalom. And if you've ever experienced pain, loss, or heartache at the hands of other believers, this will be very encouraging to you. There's comfort, healing, and hope to be found in A Tale of Three Kings. And again, we'll send it your way for a gift of any amount. You can reach us at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. And even if you're not in a position to be able to give, we still want to hear from you. Your email would be a great encouragement to Pastor Ed. This lets us know where Grow in Grace is having an impact by God's grace. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. Then join us for the next Grow in Grace when Pastor Ed Ray will pick up where we left off This program is brought to you by Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. This world no mean by your love.